Welcome to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is your host, DPT Steph, your doctor of physical therapy, bringing you all things PT with an interdisciplinary approach so that you can be the best clinician that you want to be. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is Stephanie, your doctor of physical therapy, otherwise known as DPT Steph. On this episode, we'll be talking with Dr. Zach Gabor and Steph Allen, the co-founders of the Level Up Initiative and doctors of physical therapy. To get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Thank you very much for having us, Steph. Um, I am also Steph. (laughs) Zach and I both work at Boston Physical Therapy and Wellness in Boston um, and co-founders of the Level Up Initiative. And I know we'll get into some of the the nitty gritty as far as details go. So, yeah, I mean, that pretty much sums it up. I living in Boston with Steph, we, we met in school, actually, Steph was my, Steph was my TA for gross anatomy. And then we ended up just staying (laughs) friends. She came and uh, started working at our company, not for any romantic reasons, for professional reasons. And then we ended up um, starting to date. We just got engaged this summer. And yeah, it's been super fun getting to work together at Boston PT and really getting to grow that practice and hopefully kind of role model how we envision, you know, what a, the standard of outpatient orthopedic uh, musculoskeletal care can look like. And also obviously super fun getting to pour into Level Up, which is our, you know, our free mentorship that we run for new grads and students to, to really just help elevate uh, the profession and unify everyone towards a common goal. I love it. And congratulations are in order, of course, to both of you. Um, <laughs> I, awesome. How long have you both been practicing as PTs? Was Boston PT and wellness your first job, second job? Kind of talk a little bit through the journey to of how you got to where you are today. Do you want to start? We'll go uh, chronological order. You've been practicing longer. Okay. Just alluding to me being older, I <laughs> um, No, actually, Boston PT was my, I guess, technically third job. I graduated in with my DPT in 2013 from Ithaca College, and then I stayed in Ithaca and did an orthopedic manual residency at Cayuga Medical Center, and then I actually I really loved it there, and I was hoping to potentially stay, but being a non-for-profit hospital system, a new... Um, full-time like board certified PT position was not in their budget um, at least that year so again looking back it's hindsight's 2020 I'm actually really glad that happened I ended up not really knowing exactly still where I fit within the the PT world so I ended up doing travel PT for almost two years Um, I was in New York California Colorado and New Mexico and it was it was really great towards the end I ended up not being a super happy human because most of the settings that I was in were um, hospital-based outpatient and very productivity-centric and, you know, sort of to the point of sometimes getting reprimanded for not billing enough and that kind of thing. So I, I started to become very disenchanted with um, the general hospital-based outpatient setting. I was wondering for a little while, even if I chose the right profession. Um, again, like Zach said, we, we stayed friends slash sort of mutual mentors for each other um, and a couple of other kids in his class. And I had visited Boston PT and wellness a couple of the times that I was home between travel assignments because I'm from New Jersey originally. And 
just like you said, I, I honestly just wanted to work for Dave and to work for Boston PT Wellness because as a young company, he was doing things differently, really melding the strength and conditioning and, and PT um, co-relationship that I really believed in being the future. And he had already had a strength coach and all these things. So with the potential to grow and for myself to get better and to be around people who I thought at the time, you know, well, not, not thought were better than where I was further than where I was, um, was, was really the selling point for me. So that's, that's how I ended up here. Um, and it's, it's been a phenomenal ride since we opened our, our second clinic a little over two years ago. Um, we have seven or eight full-time PTs right now, and it's just kind of, you know, there's still potential for growth and it definitely has allowed, you know, working for, for someone like Dave at Boston PT Wellness has allowed the space and the support for us to start something like Level Up because I don't think there's many other private practice owners out there that would be supportive of two of their PTs doing that. So it's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess, you know, for me and this, I, I suppose kind of plays into one of the, you know, one of the questions I saw you had in the doc, which, you know, I think is an important talking point. I think a lot of my professional development really just started with a lot of networking, just authentic networking, you know, the way that I was utilizing social media was really just to make connections with other passionate, like-minded people that were really looking to kind of connect and, you know, challenge ourselves to do better. And that's ultimately how I ended up even getting connected with, you know, reaching out to someone I had admired, a strength coach in Boston. And that was ultimately how I ended up even getting an interview for this clinic in, in, for Boston PT and wellness when it first started was through that net authentic networking and relationship building. And, you know, it's been, it's been a dream. That was my second job. I worked for a big corporate PT company, my first job out of school. And, you know, I haven't looked back since it'll be five years this March, but I'd say one of the biggest lessons was just, you know, it's, uh, there's so much, there's so much power and good things you can get out of just using social media in a very authentic way. And I wouldn't be here without that. And that's also a big part of how level up was successful was because I had the idea and luckily I had a network of, you know, hundreds of people that were passionate nerds. So I was on the phone for hundreds of hours, pitching it to all of them, getting the, the viability, concepts. vetting the concept and that was a big reason it was able to take off with such success is because we had such a strong grassroots support um, from just building that network over the past five years. Um, and I'd say that's, you know, that's been a big part. That's been a big part of my professional development and just surrounding myself with people, um, especially on the clinical side that are just super committed to, you know, doing better, um, which is emotionally exhausting, but it is also super fun and makes practice super fulfilling. Yeah, absolutely. And I know for people that are listening, like social media, and they'll probably agree, but I feel like as a new grad, even the past year or two, social media has just grown so much in the PT world. And there's so many more accounts being made every single day. There's so many more people who are trying to, you know, break the typical PT mold or break the old narratives and move into a, I would say, a bettering profession kind of be a kind of way or platform. Um, so let's start talking a little bit about Level Up because obviously that's how I found both of you. And I remember finding it, I think it was towards the end of my third year of PT school. And I was just like, what is this? I was like, this is everything that we should have learned in PT school. 
And then I know I was super, super stoked to follow you guys for a while. And then I fortunately um, was in a part of the mentorship program. So how did it start? How long has it been around? Give everybody kind of like an overview of what it really is and has to offer. Yeah, I mean, it's a saga um, because it was like one of those things where I think the idea was kind of like percolating for a while, low key, where it didn't really have a name, but it was just sort of the way that we were, you know, living our clinical lives and our professional development lives and just the values that connected us, which were, again, this sort of like, it's such a corny word, but like that growth mindset or people that are really comfortable with taking ownership and having sort of that intellectual humility because. I think one of the things that really um, we built strong bonds with our network was realizing that maybe a lot of the things that we had learned or a lot of the like really strong beliefs we had about how to practice were really challenged by a lot of strong, compelling counter evidence. And you can either sort of look away and continue to do, you know, do things the way that you want, or you can really take ownership over that and, and move forward and do better, even though it's really can be like I said, cognitively and emotionally hard to do. So I think that was low key, one of like the biggest foundations of like instilling the values that set the stage for level up. Yeah. And then, you know, it was just Steph and I were kind of getting to a crossroads where, you know, we had been practicing in clinic for, you know, I'd been there for about three years. I knew I wanted to do some sort of teaching always. Um, we both, you know, Steph was my TA for gross anatomy, I TA for gross anatomy and other courses in DPT school. So something I know we're both passionate about. And I don't know, this Steph sent me a podcast and then it was, she was like, you got to listen to this. And the inspiration just hit me like, hit me like a ton of bricks where I call, I was like hitting the steering wheel and I was like, Steph, I got it. I got the idea. And we just sort of had this vision for, you know, providing this really different way of going about student and new grad mentorship. That was, I think one of the biggest differentiators for what we do that's different is it's way more meditative versus like calculative thinking. So meaning like, it's not very like heavy didactic. Here's all the information you need to know. A lot of the value comes in the meditative reflective aspects of the structure of our curriculum. So it's presenting topics and then creating groups that were able to really think through things, challenge each other, challenge each other to be better and that's essentially the foundation of it because it's month one is around mindset and taking ownership. Month two is around critical thinking and making sure that we're really thinking through all the material in order to provide the best care possible, even if it damages our ego to be wrong about things. And then months three and four are all about communication, which is one of the hardest things, not just in clinic when you're having difficult conversations with patients who are like been told by their doctor they told me never to do this again, or they told me that my MRI was the worst, you know, the worst they've ever seen. Like, how do you navigate those conversations? But also, how do you navigate conversations interprofessionally with colleagues that might have differing perspectives from you or different viewpoints? And just really, I don't love the phrase, but really those soft skills, you know, how do you, how do you start to take this knowledge and now have successful conversations with both your colleagues, with patients, in order to drive real change? And so that's essentially... Um, an overview of kind of what we what we provide and I think that's sort of the hard part is defining it because it is sort of this like very reflective soft skills based mentorship which I know isn't necessarily the sexiest thing for DPT students to want to be a part of. But I think that is the I think the basis for even having the frustration or, or coming to the idea of creating something that would 
quote unquote, fix this problem that we were having because we were having the same conversations over and over again with each other about like, you know, almost every evaluation, every individual coming in for their first evaluation, we would, it was more common than not to have to have a conversation somewhere around like trying to de-educate and re-educate or, you know, build people's confidence back up or decrease their fear with things because they haven't done something that they love to do in years because they were told something by, you know, either based on imaging or maybe even another PT. I think that was one of the biggest things that yeah. the biggest realization to, to us that was like, okay, we need, we need to do better collectively, not just these conversations we're having with these people on like a local level. We, should, we wanted to do something outside of the nine to five kind of thing. Um, based on the frustration with all those conversations. Um, well, so. and it's also like, I remember you brought up a good point. It's like, how the hell do you change that? How, right. like, how, how do you, you how like do you that? actually, you know what I mean? Like, it's such a big problem. And, you know, the other piece of that is like big social media influencers that are putting out, you know, very not super helpful messaging about musculoskeletal pain. And so you have these, you have these accounts with like, a million followers that are putting out these terrible messages and it's like what do you do do you just complain and you know try and talk them out fight everyone. you can't, you can't <laughs> fight everyone and that's and that's not effective at all so we were like you know and you know there's obviously a lot of phenomenal programs shout out stony brook dr streb <laughs> we out here he's um, the best there's obviously a lot of great programs and a lot of great faculty members within programs that are kind of advocating for some of this change as well but it's not the norm. And so that's part of the other problem is that students are graduating and not all of them are instilled the value of critical thinking. And so, you know, they're taking everything they learned at face value, <clears throat> me, and, you know, <laughs> noceboing all of their patients because uh, yep. they don't really know any better. And so it was this really multifaceted problem of like, how the hell do you actually drive change in healthcare like this to tackle it at this many levels? And so students. that's why we, that's why we are like, we're just going to invest all of our fucking energy into students and new grads for free yeah. to make sure that we can attract a movement and get some momentum going and actually start to drive change. And so that was a big impetus of why we kept it free um, and why it still is free for people to go through because it's just super important for us to get people involved. And again, try and unify everyone over a collective mission to really just try and literally drive a positive change in healthcare because it's going to take a team and it's going to have to come from all different angles, students, not professors, just, not clinicians, just researchers, yep. outside of PT. We have chiropractors, LMTs, PTAs, fitness professionals, like it takes everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a good point too, that you like kind of harped on the critical thinking aspect of it because I know as a student, and I'm sure you guys might as well, might have thought this way as well, every, the whole being told it depends and being told it's not like a black and white answer with everything was so frustrating in the beginning. And now I know I've been working for a little over a year now. I'm like, okay, I actually kind of understand why we were told it depends all the time because it truly does. But now we need to also take, think outside of the box, outside of the textbook stuff, outside of diagnoses and see, okay, how are we actually going to help this patient from a non-clinical standpoint because there needs to be an education component there needs to be you know we're building rapport and we're trying to build trust in this relationship as well and how are we going to do that are we going to tell them what they can't do or are we going to give them the tools and empower them to do what eventually they like their goals are 
Um, and I think that's one thing, obviously, that you guys have been so successful in doing with the Level Up Initiative. So kudos to you, because I think <laughs> I've been obviously preaching this as you guys have, if you're following me on Instagram, you've probably seen me post about it a thousand times, because every single thing they post, I'm like, yep, that's true. Yep, that's true. Okay, <laughs> share, share, share. So it's great. But I do want to, I know, I like that you also said, you know, it's not just for PTs because we need to collaboratively do this throughout healthcare as, you know, no matter the field we're in. So whether it's been at a prior job or Boston PT and wellness, how have you worked with other healthcare professionals, whether it's like the strength and conditioning folks, or maybe it's MDs referrals that you're getting when you've had maybe either some pushback because of the plan of care or, you know, they were told not to do something, but now you're having the patient do it and so forth. I think, I mean, I'll, I can start off even just, I guess, starting locally, right? Because I think that's another thing that we try to talk about is, you know, another big way that we drive, you know, change across the industry is you need to take action in your community and you need to start leading by example in your community. And so I think for us, we've been very lucky to build a local network of diverse you know, background. So we have a great referral network in the greater Boston area where we have phenomenal chiropractic colleagues. We have phenomenal fitness professionals, even MDs. You know, we were super lucky through some of our fitness professional and, psycho and psychology um, friends in our network. We were able to get connected with the most incredible MD that we actually interviewed for our podcast as someone who's really a champion of the biopsychosocial model and advocating for strength training. And like, we've both been into shadow with her and um, it's just, it's been super refreshing to be able to just build those relationships and start to just have a network of people where you know that no matter where people go in your community, they're going to get really good care, regardless of if it's physio, chiropractic, um, you know, from an MD, fitness professional, we've all been kind of collectively behind this mission of just consistency in the narratives and consistency in the approach and the advice that we're giving. Well, and I think from a how, how do you do that perspective, you know, it definitely, definitely takes time. I mean, this is three plus years of us of being here. Um, but I think some of the same principles of that authentic networking are also apply here because it does take the, I think there's this unspoken assumption about, you know, between PTs and MDs that MDs aren't going to listen to anything PTs say, or, you know, we wait for them to come back after a follow-up and then, you know, try not to roll our eyes at what they're told and, and do what, what we think is right anyway in rehab. And it's not, it's not always that and oftentimes if you reach out to the let's say it's an md in this case even if you don't speak to them directly at first they know that you reached out and you would be surprised just like you'd be surprised if you're reaching out to a potential mentor or somebody that you admire in the pt or fitness world people will often give you more even if it's a short time they'll give you time <laughs> and, and so again with with really busy doctors it's not always the case but i think that you don't necessarily know unless you take that shot. So sometimes just the same sort of principles we talk about with potentially talking to classmates or um, professors or colleagues that might not see eye to eye with you, you use the same principles. You, you reach out and you also, you express curiosity about where they're coming from and also potentially where, where you're thinking maybe best based on seeing the patient a little bit more frequently, anything like that. Um, but I think that the, the reason we have 
the connections and the resources that we have in this area are because we just hopped on the phone and gave it a shot, you know, and it wasn't always successful, <laughs> but that's yeah. how we ended up. Yeah. I mean, the, this one doctor, um, Dr. Breslow that Zach's talking about that was on our podcast, I'm in conversation with her right now about a patient and she actually connected me with another um, local MD who I would like one of my patients to see who would be more appropriate. And it's like, I wouldn't have that connection even. Um, so we probably talked to her on like a monthly or, or bi-monthly basis. And, uh, and it's been she, super fun. Yeah. I feel like, you know, she's almost an extension of our family at this point. Right. Um, but just got to reach out. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. Just, I mean, the whole, you just have to kind of reach out and see if they're receptive. You know, unfortunately not everyone is going to no. necessarily be willing to listen, but it's the fact that you tried and you never know down the road, they may keep you in mind and come back. So at least like make the effort and do so. I also like that you mentioned, you know, it's been several years and it's not going to happen all at once, but these are conversations that need to start happening because again, down the road, you never know what's going to come of it. How right. has the practice for both of you changed over the past several years from kind of when you were a new grad to where you are now, whether that's in your communication skills or in your actual like practice <laughs> skills? I know it's, there's going to probably be a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. And again, I, if, you, if you ask me that question another year from now, I hope it's still different. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would say that if I had to simplify it, um, well, ironically, that my practice in general has probably looked a little bit more simple, um, especially from an initial evaluation standpoint, um, way fewer objective testing. Not that I do none, especially with uh, a population like post-op or ACL injury, which is a lot of my caseload. Um, there is actually you know, a need for objective. But really taking more of a time to slow down and emphasize subjective, I think was a, one of the initial switches. Um, and I would say even from more of the EXRX or like the exercise prescription side that I have a lot more, I guess, checks and balances in place as far as uh, I'm, I'm guided more by principles and goals versus what type of exercises or what things I should be doing at certain stages. Um, and then also lastly, just being really cool with saying when I don't know and looking stuff up or being able to lean a little bit on some mentors and not feel like I should have everything figured out. Um, that was definitely a little bit closer to the type A student side of me. Um, so I don't know if that actually paints a clear picture, but those are probably the three biggest things that over the last three or so years have, have changed and made me feel a little bit more comfortable, but also like I said, the, the comfort is actually also in always digging for more because like I said, it's, it's going to change and it should change. Yeah. I'd say for me, you know, coming out of school, I was extremely seduced by a very, very biomechanical structural, you know, pathokinesiological way of looking at rehab, meaning like, okay, you like, rather than valuing the subjective, if an individual comes in with low back pain, it must be something with the way they're moving or like a postural fault or a muscular imbalance. And again, not that those things are inherently terrible to think about or appraise, but there is definitely a big paradigm shift in really starting to challenge some of those um, 
some of those assumptions about why people hurt and really starting to value more about the history. So again, like if I have an individual coming in with, let's say yesterday, you know, I had an in initial evaluation with someone coming in with like severe right hip pain. And it's not like I'm going to understand the answer by how she squats or how she runs, but rather what the hell has been going on in her life over the past year that's led to this. And what are some of her personal factors? What are, what's more about her? Like, what does she do for work? What are some of her goals? What's meaningful to her? What's her understanding of what's going on? But also reconciling all of those structural and pathoanatomical considerations in a more nuanced lens. So I can unpack the history and understand some of those orthopedic considerations in less of a kind of rigid framework where I'm making sense of it and helping, you know, explain the story in more of a way of like, what are patterns of stress that have kind of occurred, both physical, psychological, like multifactorial stress, and that's kind of like led to, led to the emergence of this pain, as opposed to new grad, Zach would have been like, oh yeah, you're, you know, you have a, a slight leg length discrepancy, your right pelvis is a little bit rotated relative to your left, and your L5 is hypomobile compared to L4, like, no wonder you have this low, you have this hip pain. Um, so I'd say that was probably like the biggest shift for me was really just embracing a true biopsychosocial model, obviously learning more about pain and pain science has massively influenced my practice, just in terms of, again, like the communication, like, it's really such an important piece of care. And uh, just getting, you know, building good relationships, building strong therapeutic alliance is just so important, because I'd say, as you practice, you certainly get very humbled by the fact that, especially in the outpatient world, a lot of people get better despite so many diverse approaches to care. And that should humble the hell out of you. And because, we're not doing anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or not doing anything. And you're like, wait, I thought it was this special thing I was doing. And so that's definitely one of the hardest pills to swallow, but it's also extremely liberating because it gives you a lot more flexibility with your care. It allows you to really keep it simple and really just focus on connecting, building trust, building rapport, understanding some of their history, and then just building a sensible, straightforward plan that's going to get them back to moving, um, getting confidence with movement, empowering them to kind of self-manage. And I, you know, that's sort of a, a long-winded summary of some of the, the gems and transitions in my clinical practice. Yeah, absolutely. What are your, some of your tips to students who maybe want to start practicing a little like that, where it's more subjective, a little less subjective, where they're focusing more on the biopsychosocial model and they're going into clinics. Unfortunately, there is obviously time constraint is a huge thing. If you go into more of like that millish type atmosphere, you only have 30 minutes to a session, maybe an hour for an eval, or maybe they're even a new grad and now they're completely on their own. How, what are some ways that you think if there is the time constraints, the clinic restraints, insurance restraints, all these other known issues to be able to kind of overcome those barriers to start practicing yeah. maybe the way that we were talking about? Well, I have two, two things. One, one of them would be, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is like, if you want to improve your communication skills, it starts with thinking critically and having a really solid understanding of your knowledge base. So my first piece of advice would be, get involved in some of the learning networks that are putting out a lot of this information and you'll start to get more of the knowledge base of this biopsychosocial model 
and there's so many amazing companies that have so many free resources that are putting stuff like this out. Um, so that would be number one. And then number two would probably be like, I'd say the biggest piece of advice that helped me was really just focusing on connecting with the individual in front of me. And so that starts with a simple transition. So rather than starting your initial evaluations right off the bat with, okay, so tell me about what brings you in. You can start with, okay, so before we get into sort of some of the nitty gritty of what brings you in, I want to learn a little bit more about you. You know, what do you do for work? If you do work, you know, what do you like to do for exercise or hobbies? What sort of leisure activities do you like to do? Not only does that start to build trust, but you'd be so surprised at the information that provides you because now you're starting to get a very big picture view of what are their occupational demands? What are the demands of their exercise? How are their bodies being stressed? How do they feel about their job? You know, it just paints such a broad picture and you'd be like surprised at how much information that gives you. And you're like, holy shit. Wow. It really opens it up and it just builds trust because you're starting off by learning more from a perspective of curiosity about them rather than just, okay, what's the orthopedic complaint that brings you in? If that helps or makes sense. Well, you also, it, it's a phenomenal opportunity to pick up on some more nonverbal stuff before you get into what they're coming in for. Because if you think about it, diving right into what they're coming in for problem-wise, most of their demeanor and their attention, especially if pain is involved, is going to be kind of like a negative, you know, serious. And you don't even know if that person is normally a funny person or if they have a bunch of kids or if, they have, or if they're teaching. I mean, in, in this year's world, whole different lens through which stress is looked at. Um, but I would also say in addition to some of the, the resources Zach mentioned, because now even more so than when we were in school, there's so much out there, which in and of itself can feel a little bit overwhelming. Um, if you are lucky enough, and if you're not lucky enough, potentially you can just force it to happen. But even, even groups of like small groups of either, if you're lucky enough to work with colleagues who are similarly motivated to continue to try and be better with things than as you are, and or if you're a recent grad or, or a student in clinical, your, some of your classmates, even just regularly getting together and legitimately putting each other on the spot of, of doing subjective so that it doesn't feel awkward because the first time you're trying to start making that switch, you're going to feel like, Oh, this feels forced. Like, Hey, so what do you do for fun? Like it doesn't, it sounds so different than the way we learn it in school, which is like, hi, I'm Steph. I'm going to be your student physical therapist working with you today. So what brings you in? Cause that's how I learned it in school. And if that doesn't feel awkward and forced, then I don't know what does because that is, but that's what we're used to. So potentially just hearing yourself say those things out loud with, with your friends or colleagues just makes it when you actually are in person so much less tense and awkward because you're just chill doing this thing that you know how to do and asking them. And it's not like, okay, so don't ask them about what they're here for, for the first like minute. It's just a normal conversation. Mm -hmm. And that I think when they feel you kind of ease, then that is uh, again, another nonverbal that they pick up on. And I think gain, you know, building rapport in that case is just a little bit easier. Yeah. That's some really, really solid advice. I love it. That's great. <laughs> um, well, what, go ahead. I was just going to say like, just to give it a little bit more context of like a clinical example, like I think about, you know, if you have an individual, let's say coming in and their orthopedic complaint is knee pain. If you ask some of those questions first, they're like, it will reveal that they love to run. And as a matter of fact, 
they haven't been doing a lot. And then they just started this like 5k program and they've been running, you know, three to five times a week, having not run at all for a few months. And so all of a sudden you're like, Oh, okay. That's probably a very reasonable explanation for why they might have developed a little bit of this knee pain. And it takes some of the pressure off you when you're feeling like you need to go through a jillion objective tests to find the problem when it allows you to be like, okay, like let's, let's still utilize some of these objective tests to kind of like rule in or rule out this hypothesis that we're thinking, but it allows you to make sense of a much bigger picture explanation of, and again, like a low hanging fruit explanation for why things could have developed as opposed to, you know, trying to find the movement fault or the, you know, the muscle weakness or et cetera, et cetera. So I just feel like things like that. The confidence in a positive prognosis in that case, because you can basically tell after, after getting to know them a little bit, you know, and most times in general outpatient orthopedic, we're lucky that it is that case. Like you can confidently be like, this is going to be okay. But with some of that, you know, really solid background information, you can also know that if you're suspecting something like a pretty gnarly tendinopathy per se, that you can tell the person flat out, like, this is going to be a month's kind of thing. This is probably not going to be like a, you're good here for four to six weeks and leave. But then you get into the whole other probably conversation of like, transparency and setting the right expectations and already that person is going to trust you. Yeah. I think that's a huge component too, because I mean, you can tell them anything, but if they don't trust you there, there's nothing you say matters. So I think that really just kind of harps on, you know, the communication skills really need to be there because unlike most practitioners, PTs or even OTs or other rehab professionals will see patients for extended periods of time and you're not in and out in five minutes. So you need to kind of have provide that value for the patient to see the value in continuously coming back to you. I want to switch gears a little bit. What has, we're obviously in the midst of a pandemic and I know the East Coast is just, we're just some of the OGs originally slammed by all of this. We've been going through this a little bit longer than I feel like most of the country. So how has it affected your practice? Have you guys gone virtual at all? Have you had to close for a little bit? What's been the day-to-day like? Yeah, we we closed originally in, in March when this first uh, all began, partially because of state regulations, but also because we didn't ethically as an outpatient clinic feel comfortable treating people, even if it was lower volume until we knew a little bit more. So we were closed for about six weeks. Um, then once we knew a little bit more and implemented um, some, some updated slash a lot more rigorous uh, sanitation practices and things like that. And, and we switched to only having two PTs on at a time in a, What's our square footage like? A little over 2,000. Yeah. Um, so we even still rarely have more than maybe 10 to 12 people in, in the clinic at one time. Um, masks at all times. Things are cleaned immediately after people use them, including us. People have to wash their hands when they come in and out. And it's, I know that part of it has to be on, a, on an honor code when people are coming in, but we've gotten plenty of calls of people saying like, hey, somebody, I like my mom or, and my sister don't feel great. I'm just going to hold until they get a test, that kind of stuff. So it definitely is um, the, the atmosphere within which we are practicing is a little different and the, the quote unquote norms are, are not exactly the same. But a couple of things I'm actually thankful for, <laughs> I'm trying, you know, trying to see the positives in all this is 
you know, how, how we're cleaning. Like we were always a very clean clinic, but now it's just almost to an obsessive level. And I feel like that should just probably stay. You know, there's certain, there's in, in hospital settings, they may have been doing it similarly, but you know, instead of cleaning things, you know, twice a day, it's literally after every single person uses it. Um, and I think that's just going to be the norm. I think that's something we probably take away from this in a, in a positive way. Um, the, the day-to-day session to session, I think look a lot more similar other than fewer people being in the clinic, which is also uh, a little therapeutic for us too, because there's enough, there's enough things that are different and in, in upheaval right now that that's comforting to have, to be able to see people safely in person. Um, and we do have some people switching over to telehealth just because of either their higher risk, um, or somebody they live with is higher risk and, or maybe they're just not comfortable because now that it's winter cases are increasing and, um, you know, that, that being able to offer that is, is good because it's people's prerogative. And right now insurance is covering most telehealth as they, as they would and in person and some of them without co-pays. So, um, Yeah. I don't know if anything else, the, the actual treatment has changed too much, which is nice. Yeah. I, I don't know that I would add too much to that. It's been nice. Our volume is maybe 80% of what it was. So and we're a, not really high volume anyway. So. Right. So that's been, that's been kind of nice. I mean, we're Steph and I, it's allowed Steph and I, we, we, um, came out of it. Um, now we chose to go down to part-time. So we're both working 26 hours a week. Um, giving us a little bit more time to pour into level up and some future things we're doing with that, which is all virtual and yeah. And just kind of forcing the hand of, I think really highlighting the, you know, what is the true value that we bring? Because I think the pandemic kind of exposed, you know, individuals where it's like, you need to be coming in three days a week for 12 weeks. And it's like, do you really? Um, and so I think just really doubling down on what's, what, what matters most, you know, how are we able to empower, um, patients and give them a game plan and also just forcing us to get better with technology, um, from someone that really does is not great at technology. It's been really helpful to have to get better with zoom and just, you know, game plans through through email utilizing things like true coach and doing a lot of remote programming for some of our athletes and you know allowing us to explore more wellness based programs instead of just you know um reactive type of healthcare so i'd say those are just some other things i would add in that have been a fun um a welcomed addition um coming out of this you know dumpster fire of a year (laughs) oh Dumpster fire for sure. I can get behind that. Um, on a more fun note, before we wrap up, what have you guys been doing in quarantine outside of PT life, outside of work, outside of Level Up? Any new adventures? Any fun recipes? And other than trying so hard to adopt a dog, <laughs> it's like impossible right now. Um, but yes, we've been doing that. Do you want to say anything about Kelly? Well, no, she's asking not anything clinical. Oh, oh, oh. Um, you can talk yeah, about I, trying to adopt a dog. <laughs> no, no. So adopting a dog, watching a lot of GBB. Um, Steph's been practicing her baking. Um, we've been trying to just, I mean, it's hard because we can't really go can't out go and anywhere. do that much. So yeah. there's a lot of constraints in place. So I'm trying to learn about actually what it means or what it takes to renovate things because we just bought our condo over the, or towards the end of the summer and 
especially being on a budget with paying a mortgage too. It's like, okay, what needs to happen first if we want new floors, if we also want to paint? Um, just things that I never really considered before. But yeah, Lots we're probably things. some of the worst people at like broadening our horizons and like <laughs> out of our bubble because we're pretty much just psychopaths that our idea of fun on the weekend is sitting down and doing, you know, doing as much work as we can with things like Level Up or Boston PT and just finding a lot of joy and purpose in that. So I think that's, I think that's a continued goal for us is like trying to commit to doing better with getting outside of our little bubble. And, you know, we were doing a little bit more of trying to get out and travel or take little yeah. staycations, but again, that got the kibosh. This, so. yeah. it's, just been, it's just been a really, it's just been a really difficult year in terms of like having opportunities to do some kind of stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely been difficult, but we're surviving. We're making it through. And I mean, if you're, if you're doing where your passion lies, no fault in that by any means. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for we're, confirming our bias. Well, yeah. no, I mean, we're, it's, we're, I'm it guilty of it too. Happy, so. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Where can people find you if they have any questions, want to talk to you guys more about anything, whether it's level up or any future projects that you guys are working on? Yeah. So our, I mean, our collective bigger platform is at the level up initiative on the gram. Um, but if you want to talk to Steph or I, I think we're, I'm zachabord.dpt and you're Steph I'm Allen. Allen.dpt. Yep. And always, always yep. down to hop on a call or Anytime. just chat and offer any sort of guidance or advice. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find more about us. And hopefully we'll see some of you all applying for the next free cohort of level up, which isn't until, uh, next summer. Well, so and you can, next fall, if so. you want a little, <laughs> if you want a little taste of even just some of the conversation and the, the other students and young clinicians that are in, um, well, and veteran clinicians that are in the community too, you can join, you can ask to join the, um, the level up community Facebook group as well. Or listen to the podcast or listen to the podcast. Yes. Got a couple of different avenues. If you want to make sure we're for real first, you can listen to the podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. It's been great having you and great chatting with you. Thanks for coming on today and we will talk soon. Sounds Absolutely. good. Thanks, Steph. Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe to stay updated on new episodes. You can find more episodes like these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to stay up to date, follow dpt.steph on Instagram or go to www.dptsteph.com.